Hello and welcome to All Things Albion, the podcast dedicated to West Bromwich Albion. Please welcome my very special guest on the 15th of May 2005 when West Brom beat Portsmouth 2-0 to uh, perform the Great Escape. He was there and so was I, the West Brom left-back and legend at this point, Paul Robinson. How are you, Paul? How are you doing, Mike? All good, thank you. Good, good. Um, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, like I said earlier, it's, you know, you are our first ever guest as well. So um, great that it's you. Perfect. Um, first thing I want to do, I want to talk about your career in football and then move on to the present day, if that's OK. Yeah. Um, so please, if you don't mind, tell us about your time at Watford and, and how you got into football. Yeah, so my time at Watford obviously was um, was great for me. Um, a young lad growing up in the area. I was born in the hospital next door. Um, always wanted to be a footballer then from sort of the age of four and five when I started watching football on TV with my brother and my dad, then kicking around in the garden, um, not taking it seriously out on the streets with my mates till really late at night. Um, just wanted to have fun, wanted to enjoy it. It was a sport, obviously, that everyone loves. Um, I liked all other sports as well, so I, I, I never really um, sort of just did one sport. I wanted to do numerous sports to keep my mind active and yeah, football then for me sort of grew on me more and more as, as I got older and as I um, sort of got into it a little bit more. And I then signed for what, well, I didn't sign because Watford Academy started for me at the age of nine under Dennis Gibbs, which was Nigel Gibbs's dad, who was, again, Watford legend, fullback Nigel at the time. Um, so that was twice a week growing up as a kid. And I still got the opportunity to play my grassroots football with my mates. So, yeah, I had the yeah. best of both worlds. And then um, I was then thankful enough that I got offered scholarship forms at the age of 15 and knew that when I finished school, then that I was going into a two-year scholarship at Watford, um, which was fantastic for me. And, and something then that you never really imagined. And yeah, It just grew and grew as it went on. And obviously, when I got to 16, that's when the seriousness of it started to become real for me was you're in there full time. You, you've got a, an educational program that was once a week. And that was every Wednesday where you'd go to a college in London. Um, nothing too intense, but also sort of that opportunity then for you of understanding what professional football is really all, like, all about. And yeah, I, I, I had I had great people around me. Kenny Jackett was my, my youth team manager um, who played at the club. He, he played for his country in Wales. So I knew I was in good hands working under him. I had obviously Jimmy Gilligan as well, who was there. Um, Luther Blissett, Tom Wally. Uh, the list goes on. Grant Taylor was the, obviously, um, Glenn Roder was the manager at the time when I was actually coming through. But then obviously Grant Taylor then took reins and, he he took a real interest in the academy and he wanted to sort of see the homegrown coming through. So yeah. it was perfect timing for me. And he then developed me into the first team environment at a young age of sort of, I just turned 17. So again, it was new for me then being in, in that environment. But I had great senior pros around me at the time who would always um, look after me, but also put me back in my place of not me getting above myself. Yeah. So I, for me, I, I had the best upbringing. That's the way I looked at it was I was always in in real good hands in not only the professional players that were there, but also the management team that was around me. Um, so, yeah, I loved every minute of it. And it, for me, it was the perfect upbringing. Do you think it helped being eased into football? Because you said at the start, didn't you, that, you know, you could still play your grassroots football and then twice a week you went to Watford 
um, and you got more to the use of the professional side of things. I think yeah. it helps having that balance of the two rather than just having to go straight into full time. You know, I know you're only young, but like full time professional five, five days a week or something like that. Yeah, I think so, because you, you look at it now with the academies and they're four or five times a week and that's yeah. not including games. Um, and it's too much for me, if I'm being honest, it's too much. It's there's too much pressure on the kids. There's too much pressure on the parents. They've got jobs to do. They've got the kids have got school. They've got um, homework to do. How, how do you fill that in when you know that the kids have got to be there every evening? It's just it, yeah. for me, it's ridiculous. The kids will burn out. They get, I've, I've seen it. Everyone can question it, but I've seen it. Kids burn out and they have no interest when they get to 15, 14, 15. They have no interest in football anymore because they've yeah. been in the system since they were eight. Um, and I'll have this argument with anyone, anytime, because it's fact. It happens. Um, so for me, the best route was, was what, what I grew up with. And that was being with your grassroots football team, having fun with your mates, staying out and playing late um, on, on sort of concrete, not on the concrete and in the streets. It was the perfect upbringing for me. So I can't, I can never complain about it because it, 22 years of being in the professional environment put me in good stead to do that. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I coped with it really well. And it's now it's, and, and the best thing I've seen now is Crystal Palace with what they do. And they're the only club that do it. And I'm hoping now all the other clubs start to do it is they aftercare. If they know that players are not going to make it to be professionals, there's that three year plan for them then to then find a route for them to go on and to have footballing careers, or if not put them in a good stead to go on and do something else in their life. Yeah. I think that transitions quite nicely to talk about the uh, the Paul Robinson sports mindset, which is some incredible work you're doing. And you sort of offer that almost bespoke service of, of giving advice to parents, giving advice to kids who are looking to you know, improve and, and adults as well, obviously. So could you just tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, so my, my sort of my sports mindset was set up because it, it basically was my career. What What did I do? How did I have people around me? How can I pass on information to help others like parents, like kids who are going through a tough period of professional football or in an academy? Because it's never perfect. There's always going to be a rough ride, no matter what. So I give the people honesty. That's the way I that's what I was taught. That's what I was given. So I will do exactly the same to these to these players, to these parents. It's you've got to have a bit of realism. You as a parent, you can't be the player. That's what I look at. You can't dictate to the player what you want for them. That player has got to find his. He's got to find his own way, and he's got to find his own, his own feet. So yeah. supporting them from a distance is great. That's the best way to be. It is. I, my own kids as well. I will not force my kids to follow in my footsteps because it's down to them with what they want to do. But I will be supporting them. I will give them guidance. I won't. I won't force feed them the words that that they want to hear all the time because they've got, to, they've got to also ask the questions about how did I play today? And then I'll give them the guidance. I'll say, you, you were brilliant. I really mm-hmm. like you doing that, but it'll, but then they'll go, then they, they'll have to ask another question. Then I'll go, okay, well, what about that bit when I did that? Well, then, then that's when they'll give them positive guidance to go, well, maybe try this a little bit more later on. Yeah. It, it, it's now it's like, you want to do this. You've got to do that. No, let the kids enjoy the football. Let them be free. Let them go and enjoy other sports as well, like the school football as well. It's important. They're with the mates daily in school, so enjoy that school football. But then when you're in the professional environment, the coaches then have got to give them that guidance. 
they have to give them that guidance. Every single player, not just the ones who they see it might be the ones who make it because then they'll cling on to them players and go, yeah, I helped him for his career. Well, yeah, OK, well, what about that kid that you let go? Yeah. Why did, why did you not help him then? What 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 coaching did you not do with him? So they're the ones you've always got to be questioning yourself on is why did I not help him? So you have to coach everybody and you have to, like the parents have to know that they'll give the guidance at the right times, but be in the background with that support. Yeah. And that's what my website's all about, really. It's basically my career, how I was, how I was coached and how I was spoke to. It's okay. How do I now come across as me passing it on to other people with what they want to do? Yeah, I think the really the really good thing that spoke to me as well, because obviously I'm a I'm a dad of two young young lads, is the fact that you don't just give advice to the um, the, the kids and say you know this is what they should be doing or this is what they not really should be doing but what they could do, but you also give advice to parents because you know my if my lads want to play football, fantastic, I you know I'd, I'd support them all the way, but I think. There's a lot of pressure there when I was younger, um, you know, went to trials and, and uh, there's a lot of pressure involved because you think, oh, this is your one big chance and it's your only chance, especially back then. Things have got a bit different now. But to have someone like yourself who's very experienced to have, give that advice to the parents as well is invaluable, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's important, though. It's life, isn't it? We're, like, we, want our, we, we all want our kids to go on and be successful or do really well with what we've done. But you can't force that upon them. They're they're different. They're totally different to how we how we were brought up, and how and how we drove ourselves inside. It's now you've got loads of social media that distract the kids. They've got they've got loads of other things that that take their minds away from it. So when they're playing sport now, that's freedom. That's yeah. about having fun. And if they want to take it seriously, then it's totally their decision. But whatever they do, as parents, we support our children. Yeah, absolutely. And if people want to find out more about it, so um, just remind them of the website uh, so they can have a look. Yeah, so it's at um, prsportsmindset.g, um, is it gmail.co.uk, I think. I <laughs> yeah, that's right. And also, uh, I've, been, yeah. I've been in sport now for like nearly a year and it's, you, lo <laughs> you lose track of actually, do you know what, what am I doing? But it's, uh, but yeah, I think that's the, uh, that's the, obviously my webpage there. You can go on my social medias, all the links are on there as well to, um, to click on it and just have a read. I would suggest just to people to have a read, have a look through. It's not going to suit everyone. That's that's why it's there. It's to suit the ones who want to reach out and, and have support. Fantastic. Um, so moving on to your time uh, with West Brom, um, obviously it's an Albion podcast, so we're going to talk a lot about West Brom. Yeah. Um, so when you got the call that West Brom were interested you know, we were, we were doing quite well. I think we've been promoted and come back down, hadn't we? Yeah. Um, what was your first first reaction and, and how did you go about joining the club? Well, the I didn't get I got a call actually not from West Brom. I got a call from the sporting director at Watford. Um, Watford were in a bit of trouble. We were close to going into administration at the time. Um, it was a Sunday, Sunday evening, um, sitting there with the family at home. We just moved house. So we've been in our new house for three months. We just had our newborn. So it was our first child at the time um, and I got a phone call saying it wasn't would you like to go it was you have to go yeah um, and that was the phone call I got so for me it was it it could have been done better it was disappointing the way that the club that I'd been brought up with and um, I'd done well for over the years were sort of forcing me out the door for yeah. reasons that I never really knew about so being young and 
Um, one in, I'm an ambitious, I'm an ambitious person anyway. So obviously you do your homework on West Brom. You've, you've played against them. You know what they're all about. You know the culture. You know the history. Um, the fan base is incredible. Um, for me, it was then to go up, have talks, speak with Gary Megson, um, look around the place, obviously have my medical and then see where it went. So obviously, yeah, I went up on the Monday morning. Um, I think the Tuesday night we played Sheffield United at home at the time, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so I went up there to the training ground, met Gary, um, had my medical. Gary took me then to the ground, um, showed me round. Then we sat down in the office for about an hour and a half, two hours, and he explained to me what he wanted from me as a player. Uh, he sold West Brom to me there and then, and I knew it was the right fit. And 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 from then on, it, it spoke from itself. I, I obviously I signed on the Tuesday and uh, uh, was obviously introduced to the crowd Tuesday evening. Um, the players, obviously, the competition. Um, just being relegated from the Premier League, uh, the ambition of the club to go forward and, and, and get promoted again, it's, yeah, it, it, it was the perfect fit for me and it sold, Gary Megson sold it to me there and then. Yeah, so obviously that season got promoted <clears throat> um, and then we go into sort of the great escape season, which I know you've spoken a lot about, so I don't want to labour on it for too long, um, but Megson being the manager that signed you, yeah, how did you guys feel as players when you got the sack? Personally, I can only speak from myself. I don't know about anyone else, um, but I was very thankful. I, I enjoyed my time under Gary. He, again, took me to that next level because of what he expected from me as a player. Um, the work ethic in training of the standards, um, the, the group of players obviously knew what Gary's standards were and, and, and what was needed from us. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was very, I was very grateful and, um, yeah, I was devastated when, when he got the sack because you never want to see a manager get the sack. Yeah. And then as a player, when, when Brian Robson comes in and obviously he's got his own ideas, he's got his own philosophy. How, how does it, how do you adjust yourself to that? Because you've been playing first one manager the entire time you've been at the club and then all of a sudden you've got these, you have another, a different manager who's got different ideas. You have to adjust. It's your job. You get paid to do that. Like for me, you can't sulk. You can't moan. Um, the club pay my wages. So for me, it was right. I'm, Brian Robson's coming in, uh, a player that like you. You don't need any introducing. Yeah. Is it's right? We're working now. We need to. We need to improve because we've let Gary down. We we've he's been sacked because of the way we've been performing as a group of players. Now the new manager comes in and we need to impress him on the training ground and we need to listen what he wants from us. We need to work hard and we need to we need to demand more of each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got to mention this because uh, it's one of my favourite memories as an Albion fan. And everyone said to me when I when I mentioned I was going to interview you, oh, you're going to talk about the 50-50 with Morris Fultz. Do you remember this? You probably I don't. do indeed. I do indeed. What? What a 50-50. I know. On, sorry. Get flashbacks of it. It's uh, yeah. It, again, it's but that that it just shows me my mentality, yeah. my desire. Um, if I see the ball there to go and win it, I'm going to win it. Um, sometimes I've I've been I've been late and missed time my tackles, and it's cost me yellow cards and red cards. But there's not once have I ever gone out to to harm an opposition player, and that's been the worst thing for me. The worst feeling is knowing that a player's lying on the floor and he's he, and he's not going to get back up that's that for me is the the most damaging part about it but yeah. within me I had no fear I, I wanted to win I was a winner 
I wanted to do everything for my team, my teammates. I didn't want to let them down. So yeah, it's when you watch it back, it's uh, it's quite a scary fall. <laughs> well, I think you know. I mean, one of the reasons I was such a big fan of yours, um, yeah, there was a tough tackling, but it was the determination. It was the never give up attitude. And in that tackle, and like I said, you know, it was great that Morris Fultz was okay afterwards. Um, and like I said, I, I used to. I was sitting in the Brummy Road at the time, so I could see like your face, um, and it, you could tell that you made the decision to go, and you just went. Yeah, and. Like I said, you were committed 100%, and it was it was a, an amazing t- challenge. And like I said, glad that Morris was okay afterwards. But like I said, it was that determination, I think, that really endeared you to the fans. From yeah, my point of view. Because you owe it to the fans. The fans are there. They pay good money. So we're entertainers. At the end of the day, as professional football players, we entertain. We need to go out and entertain. But I had the club at heart. Every club I played for, I wore, I wore my heart on my sleeve because that's what you've got to do. They they pay your wages. You you play for that club and you have to give 100%. There was times you come off that pitch and you'd be like, I didn't give 100%, we've lost the game. But I, I accepted that as a player that I didn't give I didn't give enough because we'd come away and we'd lost. Yeah. But as long as I knew that I literally run myself into the ground and I was prepared to get hurt for my, for my, for my team, the club, I was prepared if there was tackles and I come off worse, that's my job. Yeah. I, I, I had to accept that, but that was me as a person. So that's why I absolutely loved my time at West Brom because we had a great team. We had a great team spirit. Um, I absolutely loved the eight years that I was there playing. And it, and, and like you say, you move on then to different challenges after that. Yeah. And I will reference, like I said, the Grey Escape because I think it was, well, in my time <clears throat> as a West Brom fan, it was the best day ever. Um, yeah. Because it, cause I think... Our initial promotion when you weren't there, it was brilliant. But we went into that day knowing if we won, we we would go up. Yeah. Because I think those two usually get compared to each other. The Great Escape, there was no guarantees. We were bottom, weren't we, the first when we went up there? Yeah. So as a player before the game, how are you feeling? Are you just focusing purely on the game or, or what, what's going through your mind? I had no fear. Um, the group of players that, that obviously... The spirit that Brian had brought in, we had no fear. We we knew that we had to go in and just win the game. So we yeah. were focused. We were driven. Training in the week was lively. It was buzzy. Um, we've got ourselves in a position now that we hadn't thought at Christmas would have been possible. We could have been yeah. we could have been dead and buried, feeling sorry for ourselves. But we'd rolled our sleeves up and we and we'd got results that have got us in this position now. So to get to the last game, we knew that we had to go in that into that game and win. That was it. End of story. So yeah. we had no fear. I had no fear. I was excited. The buzz around the ground. Obviously, we knew at times it was going to be nervous by the other result that was going on. So we knew that the fans would filter that down. But as players, again, we had to be focused and we had to be concentrated on getting our job done. And we did. We won 2-0. So we knew that we'd done our job. What else happened was totally out of our control. We couldn't. Yeah. We couldn't control that. And what was it like afterwards, sort of celebrating the, uh, oh, the staying up? It was the best feeling. I mean, I'd like a load of emotions of crying, hugging, your family there kissing and cuddling and drinking. It was just <laughs> everything, everything you could possibly think of. It was a bit like the hangover film. I could imagine it. <laughs> but the next day you totally forgot about what had just happened. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's the fans, seeing the fans on the pitch and celebrating together it just it just means so much and 
we we always have highs and lows in football, and that that day for me will be the best memory. Apart from obviously getting married, that comes first. <laughs> but in football, in terms, obviously, I've been promoted with Watford at, through the playoffs at Wembley and yeah. other promotions. But that for me was the the highlight of my career, without a shadow of a doubt. That was the best feeling ever. Yeah, it was an amazing day. <laughs> I always say I was hugged by people I'd never met in my entire life. Everyone <laughs> was going crazy. Um, so the other thing I want to I want to talk about as well is um, obviously the uh, playoff final that we lost uh, one nil to Derby. Yeah. So obviously, you know, we were all disappointed. How, as a player, do you pick yourself up from from that sort of disappointment? Because we had a good team, didn't we? And we we were all over them. Really, it was just yeah. um, sort of unlucky. Yeah, yeah, we had a great team. Again, when Tony come in, his philosophy was totally different to Brian's. Um, a great man. I loved working with Tony. His philosophy, the way he fought, the way he coached us, um, the way he brought us together as a team with like the sexy football. Yeah. We never got enough credit for that, I don't think, because the team that we had, I, no one really talks about that. Well, they do now. Like, obviously, the great escape probably takes over it, but... That that couple of years under Tony was the best football that I've ever played as well. Yeah, it it yeah. was a joy to be involved in. The players, again, the team spirit we had was, I've never had it at any other football club that I've been at. Um, so for me, it was the best part of footballing. That was the best part of my career was that time there under Tony. And when you come to them, you have to move on. You, you go away, you think about things, obviously, what just happened, the disappointments, you have a few beers with obviously the players, we'd, we'd organised um, at the end of it, there was organised party for the players and 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 certain members of the, like the chairman and staff and that to be yeah. there and it, it was a deflated party because we'd just lost but what we did was is we picked ourselves up and we knew that next year and pre-season we come back and we're firing, that's it. We, we, know, what, we know what we need to do, we give credit to Derby, yes they did they deserve it or didn't they? Well, they did because they got promoted. We didn't get promoted, but we should have taken our chances. We were we should have been more ruthless in front of goal, and we, we didn't. In and they defended well, so we move on and we and we come back and we um, and we um, get ready for that promotional year the next year. And that's what that's all you can do as a footballer. Yeah. And then um, talking about sort of actually one last thing I will talk about on the album before we talk about moving on to Bolton. Um, you celebrating on the pitch. So one of the highlights is when we won, you would run towards the Brummie Road celebrating at the end of the game, wouldn't you? Yeah. And it was something we all waited for um, because, like I said, you'd, you'd say, you know, well done and thanks to the th thanks to the other players. And then you'd run towards the Brummie Road or jog towards the Brummie Road and you'd celebrate. You'd yeah. see a ton of, of Albion fans still there chanting Robbo. Yeah. What What was that like? Uh, buzz. Um, Obviously, win, lose or draw, I was always the same. That, yeah. that was, again, that was me. That was my my personality. That was me as a person. Um, every player was different, but for me, it was a, a sign of respect because you paid the money, you come to support us, and I wanted that connection. That was that wasn't just West Brom. That was at every club I've been at. It's you have to have a connection with the fans. The fans pay a lot of money, even even doing stuff outside of football and, and going to meet the fans, doing autograph signings or or speaking to the fans when you walk out of the ground. It's For me, it's priceless. That's that's the most important thing of being a footballer is is having them opportunity to speak to people and, and to appreciate your support and, and, and what you give to the club in, in week in, week out, in travelling everywhere as well. Yeah. 
And then moving on to leaving the Albion, obviously there was interest from a few clubs. I believe you were at Wigan, weren't you? And they um, there was problems there. And you, anyway, you eventually went to Bolton. Yeah. Now I want to talk about this. It's okay because I think, as a fan point of view, mm. the the rumor was, and we this is the, this is what I want to sort of get at is you wanted to move on, you wanted to go on to better things, which is completely understandable. Yeah. But I think as fans, especially looking back now, we only get one side of the story. So, what's your recollection of that? Was that the case, or was you know was the club sort of trying to move you on? How, what happened? No, I think I think my time was was coming to an end at West Brom. I mean, seven years playing yeah. um, for the club, I could see a lot of things changing behind the scenes. That for me, it was a sign. It was a sign of you've done your you've done your job at this football club, and it's now time to move on and and go and experience something else. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot of players were leaving. A lot of players who I had a real good bond with in Jonathan Green, in Zoltan Gira, um, yeah. Kev Phillips never stayed on. Uh, my big pal Kev, I think that was the biggest bugbearer for me that we let him go. Yes, uh, I agree. And and for me, I I think as I think what fans don't see is as, as footballers when they when they see them changes behind the scenes of what a group of people what they've meant to each other over them years, and you see that change, you know now it's your time to go and experience something different. I felt that I'd taken West Brom as far as I could. Yeah. And I wanted, again, obviously Gary was the manager at Bolton. He'd made a big thing of wanting to sign me. Um, I didn't know who was going to come in at the time to West Brom. Obviously, Tony had decided that he wanted to go to Celtic. So there was a, there was a lot of respect for them people. And to see that change, obviously, you're going to get comments about, oh, you greedy, like, do you know what I mean? You went for yeah, more yeah. money. I didn't, I didn't go for more money. I went because I wanted to play in the Premier League for as long as I could. I was getting to an age where... Time was against me. I wanted to enjoy playing against the best players in the world. Now, no disrespect to the championship at the time, yeah. you ain't going to get the best players in the world playing in the championship. So for me, it was, I want to play at the highest level as long as I can. And that wasn't being disrespectful to West Brom. I just felt that I'd taken the club as far as I could. And I needed to. I needed a new challenge and I needed to go on and, and do something different. Yeah. But people, people, people have their opinion. I understand that, Mike. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. People can throw, throw anything at me, what they want. That's their opinion. I have not, I, again, I have no problem with that. That's their opinion. But my opinion was I needed a fresh challenge. I needed a new change. But it was no disrespect to West Brom because they'd been great to me for seven years. And I'd love that. I'd love every minute of my time at West Brom. That was Watford and West Brom were the best periods of my life playing football. Yeah, I think that's completely understandable. And, you know, I, I think, I mean, when you came back, you play, we played Bolton. I think, do we get promoted the year after? Usually we did. Uh, and I remember you you playing for Bolton against us. Um, and initially there was that friction there. Um, but then after the game, I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm quoting your memories back to you. Yeah. Um, you, were, you actually clapped the fans and the fans clapped you back. It was like it was done. Whatever the friction was there, it was done. And I think as fans... I think there was a realisation of that. I think initially there was the frustration because it was like, Paul Robinson is our best left back. We want him to stay. Why is he going? You know, and then all these ridiculous rumours about, you know, greed. And like I said, we only ever hear the one side of the story. Yeah. And after that, like I said, I think it was it was eased and all was, you know, back to back to normal. And you were a big fan favourite again. Yeah, I know, I know why that started, though, is because of my reaction when, when West Brom played Bolton away 
at the Reebok, I reacted badly towards the fans because yeah. we just scored, and and it and that what that was that was bad on me. I shouldn't have done that, but I was getting booed. But I know I was getting booed yeah. because of the rumours that were going around and the greed, and it it was just a load of rubbish. But what fans forget is is that I spent seven years there, and I give my all. I I sweated blood for that club, and. I threw my body on the line for that club and people move on. They do different things. It was, it was not being disrespectful to the football club at all, but my reaction obviously stirred a few people and yeah, it was wrong at the time, but I felt the, the booing was, yeah, it just got the better of me. But it just got the better of me. And in, in football, we have emotions. So when, when we scored, my, my blood was, was boiling and, and running high and I reacted badly and yeah, I accept that. I shouldn't have done that because of the years that West Brom had given me and, and the things I'd done for the club. But it was, um, but yeah, I, but again, you can see why I got the reaction I did. And out of respect, that's why I went in and clapped the fans because I knew I'd done something wrong and, and the fans were important to me while I was there. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone can ever criticise you for not giving 100% where at the Albion. Um, that's for sure. So then moving on from uh, from Bolton, obviously you had a, a time at Leeds, didn't you, and things like that. But then I want to talk about Birmingham now, if that's OK. Mm. He started off uh, on a sort of a short term contract, didn't it? But then he got getting extended and extended. What was your sort of, you know, what, what sort of memories do you have of that time? Again, real fond memories. I mean, I had eight years at Birmingham, so it's a lot of people probably don't realise that. I had six years playing and then two coaching. Yeah, um, yeah real fond memories. Again, a, a club that's, it's like a sleeping giant. It's, again, the ownership. They've never quite got it right. Um, the club have obviously moved players on every year. It's a relegation battle every year. It was it, it was hard. It was really hard for me to go in there and and constantly year after year fighting relegation. I, I was an ambitious guy, and the club is it, it's too good to be always fighting relegation. It should be up near the top, fighting promotion, getting back to the Premier League where it's been for so long over the years. It's just it's such a shame. It's such a shame for me to see. Again, we always look at them again this year. It's that they're in the same position every year. It's they're always fighting away from the bottom half of the table. And yeah, it it was. It was it it put me though as again because of the challenges I'd had over the year, I was always had I always had thick skin. So I knew I had to go in there. One again, I had to win the fans over because of the Damien Johnson incident that we had when we, I was playing at West Brom. Um so I had to win the fans over, but for me, that was never going to be a problem because I would go into it like I did at every club and wear the shirt with pride. And I, I had to go out and perform week in, week out. And that was to win. I needed to go into to win tackles and get the fans on my on, on my side and, and appreciate that I'm here to win. I'm, I'm not here to do anything else apart from do my best for this football club and to try and take the club forward. But off the field, you're always battling against the issues that were that were always in behind the scenes that no one ever saw. So, yeah, that was tough. I think it's took it. It took its toll on me towards the end of my career because I didn't. I I just didn't want to go through it again and again every year fighting relegation. The managers that were coming in, they always had a battle with like points deduction or transfer targets. It was you just as a manager. You want to come in and you want to improve the squad. You want to take it forward, but it never seemed to happen just because of financial reasons. Yeah, but I love I love the people. So so many good people over the years I worked with. 
so many great players, again, to link up with people that I'd play with over the years, like Curtis Davis, to play with the young lads like Nathan Redmond, Jack Butland, who have gone on, and your Mitch Hancocks and, and Callum Riley's have not quite gone on to like the highest levels, but yeah. they were good players at the time, and it was great to work with them kids and, and to work with players um, like your Nick and Zigic and all that, and and senior pros who have, have had good careers at other clubs. It was um, it was it was great for me to work with them players, but it's just that you want Birmingham to be in the Premier League, like your West Broms. That's where you want to see these clubs. Yeah. And um, during your time at Birmingham, I remember reading an article, and it was you were it was basically your transition because you were normally a left back, weren't you? I think most you know or left wing back during your career. We you actually transitioned to a centre half, didn't you? Yeah. Um, how did you find that that change of role? I loved it. I loved it because I, I love my football. I love thinking about different things. Um, on the pitch, I saw different pictures. So when you're left back, you left wing back, obviously you have different thoughts in your mind of the way you play and the passes you see. But when you're at centre-half, you see the big picture. So you see the whole side of it. You see the right side, you see the middle, you see the left. Um, so for me, it was about going in there and using my head a little bit more. I knew, my, I, knew I was never going to keep up with the fast wingers because they were getting quicker. The strikers were getting stronger, so I had to use my head. I had to play the game. I had to uh, to drop off at times, or I knew the times when I needed to get tight. So yeah, I, I loved that experience of playing in centre half, and obviously I got the opportunity to play alongside players like Curtis Davis, Steve Caldwell, um, obviously Carl Bartley coming at the time, Dan Byrne, who's now back at Newcastle. It was again trying to help them youngsters see different things of what I was seeing and help them through. Yeah. And then speaking of transitions, obviously you did transition into a player coach, didn't you, initially? And then you said yeah. spent two years as a full-time coach. Was that something that was always your plan or was that something that, you know, um, I think Gary Rowe was the manager there at the time. Did he speak to you about it and say, you know, Paul, this is something you should look at? You know, Gary sort of Gary mentioned it, um, like what, what are you going to do when you retire and have you ever thought? And I, I already was doing my coaching badges and I always had that thought. But for me was... I felt great. I didn't want to think anything other than that I'm just playing. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until was obviously under Gary Monk, um, Steve Cottrell before, obviously I was doing the 20 under 23s working with Richard Bill. Um, and then that's when the transition kicked into me that you can't do both because yeah. you either focus on being a player still or you focus on your coaching. So I sort of made the transition easier for myself by when I was playing, I sort of took the time then to go and do more coaching so going with the 23s, like watching under 18 stuff. And for me, then I was learning, I was picking up stuff. And then the more I started coaching, the more I then realised was, right, OK, now's the decision. I'm retiring. I've got my role coming up where I'm going to go into the coaching. So I now need to focus on the coaching. So, yeah, the transition for me was perfect, really, with what I wanted to do. And I love my coaching because I played at the highest level throughout my career. So now it was for me, it was to pass on to the younger generation of, of not they were never going to be like me because that's impossible to be like me but I needed to get on to them I needed to pass on them to have the mentality and I to have the mindset of what it's like being a professional football player yeah when you decided um it was time to retire uh, we've I've heard lots of various stories about you know how it affects players and, and things like that and when you made that decision if you don't mind that me asking how did you come to that decision and and how did you feel when you, when you had made it I, the decision was hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's always hard knowing that you've done that 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 career for like 22 years. So to to get those thoughts into your head of 
I'm retiring is a massive thing in your life of what you've dedicated it to. Um, but I'd also come to terms with is that I was really enjoying my coaching. So I knew that that exciting time was now coming for me to go on to the other side of it. Whereas I'm still on the grass, I'm still coaching, I'm still working in a professional environment. And now I'm passing on my experience. So I'm helping others more than what I was on the pitch. Yes, it's different because when you're playing, you're, you're, you're still coaching. I looked at it because I was helping others with their position. I was using communication to help them throughout the game. So now I'm not. So now when you look at it, it's like, yes, I'm doing all that, but I'm not on the pitch room now. Yeah. So when they cross that white line, I can't help them. That's got to come from them. They've got to do that. So everything that I've taught them and everything I've passed on to them, I'm now not on the pitch to help them, but I'm on the touchline. So they've got to find a way of different situations. They've got to find a way of, of how can I overcome that? Like making a mistake, not letting it get to your head. Yes, I'll be talking to them, but it's different where... As a player, you got to find your own way of doing that. So that transition for me was was really good. I, I I sort of I come to terms with that. I'd made the decision that was it. Final. I needed to move on. I needed to then focus on my coaching. Yeah. <clears throat> Feeding into the the sports mindset. Do you think that um, it's important for a player to have that? Like you said, you were looking forward to the next stage. You had the next stage. Do you think it's important for a player to have that when they do they do come to retire, not just retire and then you know stop? Yeah, because I think if you've not got anything else in place, you twiddle your fingers, you start wondering what to do, why did I not do that? And for me, it's important that if you are an ex-player or a player still, and you are thinking of going into your coaching, then make sure that you're doing it before you retire. But also, if you're going into something different, like we see a lot of players going into the TV. Um, so it's their transition from that is still it's great because obviously they're going into talking about football. It's a job that they've played and they've done throughout their years. So it, it's great to have them people now. You see them on telly, you see them talking about it. But it's hard for the ones who don't know what they're doing. What, what decisions they've got to make is I've not really thought about it. Like ones who have obviously had to retire through injury. They've not thought about what they're going to do because they thought they were going to play. But then this injury's come up and it's finished their career. So yeah. now it's right. I need to do this to make sure that I'm giving my mind the right the right thought process of of what I need to do now for for something else that's later on in my my career so so yeah that again that sports mindset links into it again with me I was lucky my wife's a professional acupuncturist and I, I don't people talk about it in football it's my wife does a different acupuncture you can get sports you can get sports acupuncture which is great yeah. that's if you feel that but my wife's is it's an it's an anxiety it's a stress it's a pressure. So it's the fifth the fifth element, acupuncture, which is great for the whole of the body because you switch off if your your anxiety levels for me as playing as a footballer, I was be I, I could deal with that because I was having the right acupuncture that was keeping me calm, keeping me relaxed. So I could zone out. I was visualizing, I was picturing myself doing things on the football pitch that I knew that I would see before the ball would come to my feet. So I knew that visualization was great for me. Again, the pressures of the abuse of social media. I stayed away from social media when we lost. I did like obviously I'd read people's negative comments, but that was their opinion. But I try try and stay away from that and think of all the positive things that I was trying to do to football. Yeah, I think it's important. I, I was um, I was uh, listening to Ben Foster's uh, podcast, and he was talking about that people don't realise. I think as fans, is there's a lot of mental 
so there's a big mental side of football, especially professional football. It's not yeah. just about being fit and, you know, working on your technique. There's a big mental side to it as well, isn't there? Oh, my God, massive. Um, yeah, but people don't realise is you, could, you, you, you sit there and you give abuse to as many players as you want throughout not the season or years or whatever. But as a player taking that abuse, it could be personal. It's family. Your family's there in the crowd listening to it. It's yeah. mentally draining. It's emotional. It's you make a mistake. You don't want to make a mistake. No one makes a mistake, but it's pressures. That's that's your job. That's what you've given your time up for. So nothing's perfect. You're always going to make mistakes, but then you're yeah. always going to realise that you're going to get abuse from that after. And it's you have to deal with that. You have to take all that on your shoulders as well and, and try and brush it off and, and try and deal with it. But some people can't. Some players can't handle that. So moving towards um, the present day now, um, if that's okay, and obviously you, you know, um, Millwall currently as a coach. Yeah. Um, something I do want to ask you about is obviously you were there when you beat us two 0 recently, uh, mm. played us off the park, if I'm completely honest. And it's quite safe to say things got quite toxic uh, with our fans, obviously flares and things like that. What did you make of the game and and, and what was going on? Obviously, I made a, a great performance by us. Um, we knew what we needed to do to West Brom. Um, we knew that, obviously, there was tension with the, the results. And, obviously, my inside information of what it's like to play in front of the fans is that they'll turn. Yeah. If the players are not giving 100%, then the fans will turn on you. End the story. Obviously, it was sad seeing the West Brom fans throwing things on the pitch. And um, I think that's the first time I've ever seen that from the fans. So, yeah. you can understand the frustrations um, the emotions of them, the, the travelling, the, the money they're spending to follow the team and they get performances like that. But again, it for, for, for me, it was, I didn't, I didn't like seeing that because that was not the West Brom that I was there and I was involved in. And again, it's players have to take responsibility. I, I don't think a lot of players take responsibility now for their performances. They think it's okay to go out and play and just perform to a level that they think is acceptable. Well, if you're going to play like that week in, week out, it's not acceptable yeah. because it's a team that was in the Premier League for so long and you, you've not got time now to, to sort of dilly-dally in the Championship because we're, we're looking at the, the the points deductions if you overspend and yeah. the, the FA will come down with things like fans like throwing stuff in there. It's, it's, it's just not nice. Um, so, yeah, obviously the manager went. Steve Bruce has come in now. Whether fans like him, whether whether fans do like him, he's got a great managerial career where he's got teams promoting, and I, I I think it's only good for West Brom because I think he'll he'll have standards, he'll get to the team playing to the best of what the players' best positions are. Mm-hmm. Whereas Val wasn't doing that with the team playing three four three. I don't think he was getting the best out of the players in the formation that they were playing. Um, so yeah, I, obviously after us beating them, was nice because we got the result. But I'd like to see West Brom now move forward. Obviously, disappointing result against Sheffield United. Again, a red card doesn't help. Whether Jake meant it or not, it's, again, it's emotions of football. We go into tackles. We don't really think we need to, but it is what it is. And Blackburn tomorrow, again, another tough game. So, um, so yeah, I'd like to see, obviously, it's, it, it, I, I read Steve Bruce's comments. It's about getting that first win. As soon as... As soon as the players get that first win under the new management, then I think things will move forward. Yeah. 
Um, and like I said, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but something else I wanted to ask you about was a lot of fans now, they, you know, a, a big theory, and, and to be fair, I share this sentiment, I think, is that there's not any heroes in our team at the moment. You know, there's not the players like yourself, like Kevin Phillips, like Kevin Campbell, Jeff Horsford. I could sit here all day and reel off the players that, you know, we're, we're sort of real fans, uh, fans' favourites. There doesn't seem to be that sort of character in the team at the moment. Do you think that, you know, what do you think is has changed in terms of that with the West Brom? I just, I, I think the game's changing. The, the players are changing. Um I, I can't speak. Obviously, I can speak for my era because we had winners. Yeah. I think. I think what what West Brom need to see is winners. What they need to see players who are eleven players who are going out there and and playing for the shirt. How much does it mean to get three points every Wednesday, every Tuesday, every Saturday when you're playing? It's they, the fans want to see that. They want to see that the team's giving maximum effort and no excuses. And as you accept that. As, as 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 fans, you accept that we've seen that you've given your all, but it weren't quite enough, and you yeah. and you support them as much as you can. I, I just think the players have got to understand. They've got to understand who they're playing for. They've got to respect the club. They've got to get their head down. They've got to work hard, and they've got to, they've got a lead. They've got a lead from the front and demand more for each other as, as as a group to where they where they want to get to. Yeah, well said. Thank you. Um, and in terms of the other thing, I was going to ask you as well because you've got really good insight into this. Is obviously there's a few youth team players who are trying to transition into the first team. Taylor Gardner Hickman being one, Tom yep. Fellows being another one. There's obviously big uh, promise with Reyes Cleary. A few people have mentioned they want him to play. Coming from obviously someone who's an experienced coach, how would you try and transition, you know, players like that into the first team? It's a gradual build up. I think that like you say training with the first team, getting games every now and then. Um, Again, not in not let them get over above themselves and keep them grounded. I think the young players nowadays have got a they've got to appreciate it's it's a tough sport now to be involved in. I mean, when I was growing up, and I can only speak of experiences, is when I was growing up under Grant Taylor. Grant Taylor used to have me training with the first team, playing games, but then he dropped me out because he knew I was getting above myself. So it's keeping level headed. These young lads have just got to keep their head down and keep working hard because if you keep working hard and you keep doing the right things, then your career will take control of itself. You'll go on and you'll realise, right, I need to do these things, right, I need to work on these things. And I think that's the important thing as well, is always working at the yeah. training ground. 10, 15 minutes after training, I need to improve on this. Right, I need to start on the training ground with a coach. I do it with our young lads at the training ground. You work with the youngsters, you work with the senior pros. You have to do the extra work. If you don't do the extra work, then you're not going to improve. If you think that you're doing okay, all right, well, that's that's just being okay. You need to keep working harder and harder. If you want to get to that next level, then you'll see what them players do and what the hell they work. Then you'll understand of what they do after training by not making excuses. Oh, I feel a little bit sore. I feel a little bit tired. Uh, I've got to go in now. And, and no, you look at the Beckhams and you look at all them players, they stayed outside for hours and hours, practice, repetition, better making themselves better so i think that these young lads now they need to like stop looking at being right okay i've played for the first team i've done enough no you need to keep working hard you need to keep doing the right things and then you need to get that consistency in your playing career where you're then right i've got the shirt now i'm keeping it 
And in looking, um, talking about yourself personally now, uh, what is your sort of future goals? Obviously, doing really great coach, you enjoying that? Is it something you'd like to move into further? May possibly becoming, you know, a manager one day? Is that something you're looking at? Or yeah, eventually. I'm not. I'm not in a rush. I think now I'm at that period where I love my job. I love coaching. Um, I'm on the ladder. So for me, it's about when I was playing. I needed to work hard. I needed to. I need to work my way up into where I need to get to. So yeah, one day if if I want to be a manager and there's an opportunity for me to to do that, then great. But it has to be right. But I have, it has to be right for me as well in my in my head. Yep. Am I am I experienced enough? Have I done the right things? I love a challenge. Um, but for me, it's important that I'm now doing what I did as a player, and that's working my way up the ladder and 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 constantly improving and constantly trying to do the right things as a coach. But yeah. yeah. I'll never say never. One day it would be nice if if I did get a manager's job and we'll go from there. Hopefully the Albion one day, you never know. That would be lovely. If the owner's <laughs> if the owner's got my number, then he can call me anytime. Absolutely. Um so just to remind people where they can find out about more about the you know um, the, the great Paul Robinson mindset. So it's paulrobinsonmindset.co.uk, isn't it, for them to find out more? Yeah, so yeah, just go on the website if they want to have a look at it. If they feel that obviously parents who have got kids in academies or parents themselves are not quite sure on 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 which pathway they're going in, then yeah, it's it's there to look at and see what they think and then get in contact with me. Yeah, and then uh, if they want to follow you on Twitter, it's at uh, robo 4 pr as well, so they can follow you there and find out more, can't they? It's zero four, isn't it? Twitter. Yeah. Oh, sorry, zero four to oh four. Zero four. four, yeah, zero four. So <laughs> for some reason, I say my zeros as O's. I know exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's all all my links are on the website anyway. So my Instagram page are all on there as well. But yeah, I mean, I mean, my main page is to is is to sort of get in contact through um, emailing me on my on my website. So that's if 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 people want to to go on the website and then they want to contact me through that, there's a link there to email me. That's the best page to to contact me on there. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me, Paul. I really appreciate it. It was great to to chat to Paul. I hope people enjoyed this uh, little bit of a, ch- a different sort of episode of, of talking to, to Paul Robinson. Uh, if you want to follow us, you always can on our social medias. Um, yeah, enjoy. And uh, thank you very much, guys. Boing, boing. <laughs>